Hello and welcome to the Surface Tension Podcast. My name is Alex. My co-host over here is Craig. We are going to be exploring deep questions and looking for deep answers to spiritual questions and questions about life in general. We're happy to have you here. And here we go. Hi, and welcome to our podcast. You were just sharing with me about how you were reading the Bible with a bunch of people, and there was something that just, just, it just, it just kind of got you, right? Yeah. How did you, what, how, what phrase did you use to just describe your uh, attention being captured? It, yeah, this verse. Uh, we're studying the book of Isaiah, which I've never read. Yeah. And we're on chapter five, and there's let's see how many verses in chapter five. 30. But I got hung up in the beginning and that occupied most of my mental space. Whereas I could barely pay attention to the rest of the chapter. And I'm fine with that. I hung up and you're using hung up in a very positive sense. uh, Of course, where it just, it caught my attention and then maintained it and kept me noodling for quite some time. And that happens, I think for all of us, when we read the Bible is something that will jump out to us that we haven't noticed before, or something's different in our lives or in our hearts. And then all of a sudden the scripture has grown as we have grown, which is beautiful. Yeah. But the first four verses I'd be fine just reading these uh, ESV. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on very fertile, on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a vine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. That's that's the first two, but jump to verse four. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it when I looked for it to yield grapes? Why did it yield wild grapes? And then it just jumps in, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard without answering the why question. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, hold on, time out. <laughs> Don't rush. This is like pretty important. Yeah. God, the creator of all things, he sets up this beautiful vineyard because that's who Isaiah is addressing, his beloved, shows the relational nature he has with God and his understanding, his heart. But it's fascinating to me that with all of God's majesty and craftsmanship and intention and perfection, that the grapes could still end up being wild and sour. That just roped me in, in a huge way. Because I'm thinking to myself, God is omnipotent. So if he really wanted to, he could will those grapes into perfect existence, right? Mm, Yep. So this why question and all the thoughts that come from it is, well, how did this happen? 
it was set up perfectly, but then we've got wild grapes. Right. So what do you do with that, Craig? Well, you know, I love, I want to back up and say, I love it when you and other people are dazzled by a passage. You use the word hung up. In my, in my, in my vernacular, hung, being hung up is usually not a good thing. Sure, Stand sure, sure. Like, oh, you know, but wrong you wrong know, word choice. Well, yeah, but you were just like, oh. I was spellbound. I was enthralled. Yeah. I there was you go. Keep going. Captivated. There you are. Um, yeah, all those things. And I, I have this mental image as you were describing that of you on a hike with some guys. And you guys are going through this forest. And all of a sudden, you come up to this tree, and you're like, "Look, look at this tree! Look at look at the bark, and look at the texture, and look at the, how tall it is, and look at the canopy." And you probably blessed that group by bringing their attention to something that was moving you, something that was. And I, first of all, I love that. I love it when we share with other people the things that are moving us, whether it's a question or whether it's a passage or a song. And you know, I had someone the other day say, oh, oh, you've got to sit down and listen to this song with me. And I'm like, wow, if this is important for them, enough for them to sit down and play the song and let me see the lyrics, then I want to actually sit with it and not sure. just say, okay, well, you know, this isn't doing anything for me. I was trying to say, what is this doing for this person? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because they were being highly impacted by this. Tears started coming up in their eyes as they were listening to the song. Wow, powerful we moment. Don't, we don't probably do that enough. I think the old me would have been, uh, you know, I think I may have heard that question, that song. I'm not really interested, but I, I was interested in that song because I was interested in how it was impacting them. And I'm really glad that God's brought that as a, an additional chapter to, to my understanding and investment of, he wants to share with us something through the story of other people, right? Well, beyond your curiosity with how it affected him, you've probably read the Psalm to which he was referring before and didn't have the reaction that he was having. Yep. And so maybe you were wondering, well, what did I miss that, exactly. that I'm not as drawn to this as you are yes. and that I haven't had this emotional crescendo in the way that you are. I would love to see what you're seeing, yes. not as a people watching exercise, but because I I would like to have what you're having right now. Yes, exactly. And, and by the end of the song, I could start sensing and feeling some of the weight and, and beauty that this person was experiencing. And so that was kind of cool. Like I said, this isn't something I've always done. It's it's a new habit for me that I'm trying to learn. And that's why I just started by saying it's so cool that you're like, oh, look at this passage. This is really fun. And I want to get to that passage. Yeah. One of my favorite pastors of all time, Tim Keller, had had a great comment. He said, anytime God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. <laughs> it's, it, he asks us questions for us. Right. And so that question isn't a, man, how did this happen? <laughs> as much as a, Wow. Okay, we need to reflect. What, yeah, why is it we we wild grapes? Why are we growing so prolifically in God's vineyard? Right. 
Yeah. That's a good one. Like got us into the concept of free will and that God's going to let us grow and not always stop us from eh, doing whatever it is that we want to do in the direction we want to grow sometimes. Yeah. And I don't know much about wild grape. Do you know, have you done any research on wild grapes? Can wild grapes be useful? I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very. Maybe they've got calories, but they're not so <laughs> sweet. So, what did that do for you? What What did that whole question do for you? Did because there was, there was the question in scripture, but there was it took your mind somewhere else. It took your imagination somewhere else. Where did it take you? Long dramatic pause. I don't know if I have a, a really profound answer. It was just curiosity at saying, God, why did why did you allow things to happen this way? Yeah. And earlier you mentioned being surprised that there was a movement right from hey, there's wild grapes here. After all I've done, why do we have wild grapes to all right, this is what I'm going to do to eradicate the wild grapes. Right. And that was probably something that was unexpected. I will remove its hedge. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. And it's like, whoa. Okay. So we skipped from how did we get here to inconsequential. I'm, wrecking yes uh this vineyard yes that's a big leap that's a big leap and not yeah the vineyard it's it's not just wrecking the the crop it's the vineyard it's what provided for the crop right it's it's the environment that allowed that crop to flourish even as wild as it was. And that can be alarming when people are living this life feeling a little bit like a wild grape, right? Is this just the nature of grape farming? (laughs) I don't know enough about this, but it'd be interesting to talk with a sommelier or some grape farmer and say, what percentage of your average haul ends up developing into wild grapes that are unusable. Yeah. If that's a common thing at all, because I think it's common for people, myself included to grow it and step to the beat of my own drum rather than running the play of the big guy running the vineyard. And I have all the tools, the vineyards, plenty of sun, plenty of nutrients, plenty of water, living water even. And I'm still running my own show. I have the capacity to do that. I'm yeah. trying to do that yeah. less and less. There's kind of a New Testament parallel, uh, and I'm just shooting from memory here, of Jesus um, telling a story about a guy who was growing a fig tree, and he grew it, and he had it there for one year, for two years, for three years, and the landowner said, hey, cut it down, cut, cut the fig tree down. And the guy who was taking care of the fig tree said, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's try to give it, one more year, let's try. Let me try to get some more water, get some more fertilizer, and then if it doesn't 
produce anything next year, then fine, let's let's cut it down. Maybe that's kind of what you expected between the, hey, I've got wild grapes and now I'm going to break down the, the walls and plow up the ground. Maybe you expected a little bit more grace, a little more time, a little more. Yeah, some patience. kind of midpoint. Yeah. And saying like, oh, I'm bummed out that these grapes are sour. Yeah. What went wrong? But that would betray God's omniscience too. Yeah. So as an omnipotent and omniscient omniscient being, he had to have actually known that this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so that probably speaks to the nature of man and that we, if left to our own devices to grow in whatever direction that the wind blows us or the sun shines on us, it's not going to turn out that we make some elite wine that has hints of plum and cherry <laughs> and cheeseburger. I don't know. There's sommeliers who can sense everything really? in, in wow. wine. Interesting. I, I don't know if that's interesting, but what about this is striking to you? Cause you've been asking me how this is landing with me. I don't know when the last time you read this was, but yeah, keep going. Well, I, to me, I'm curious about the context because God dealt with the Israelites in the Old Testament in in seasons um, and generations. So my my guess is that he's describing in that story something that included a a lot of time that he's just not recounting. Um, you know, Jesus did that all the time. And it's beautiful because in his first sermon in a synagogue, Jesus took the uh, scroll of Isaiah and unrolling it, he found the place where it said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and sight for the blind and release from prison and from the captives and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, and then he rolled it up and sat down and then taught taught the people, which is really cool, right? Amazing. And if you go to that passage in Scripture, I believe it's um, Isaiah 61, Jesus quoted it word for word and then stopped in a little place where there's a pause. And the very next line from that is, and the day of vengeance of our God. Okay, the spirit of God, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Jesus is saying, God's spirit is is upon me, and here I am. I am this manifestation of the Messiah, proclaiming, I'm God in the flesh, proclaiming these things, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Stop. The very next part of the verse in Isaiah is in the day of vengeance of our God. And we are living in that pause, that stop. Right now, that's what we are. Because eventually, there's we're between be- wild grapes and full destruction. Yes, there you have it. That there is this, there's this space that He gives us, um, and the same way that Jesus is saying, "Here I am. This is who I am. This is what I am capable of doing." And guess what? Eventually, you're toast. It's gonna hit the fan. There is this day of vengeance. And I do think it's something that we as a culture have gotten away from. And it's something people don't want to talk about. 
when the Thessalonians were encouraged by Paul, hey, good for you, you turned away from your worthless idols to serve the true and living God, and you have been saved from the day of God's coming wrath. It's like, what? There's a lot of people that hear something about God's wrath and say, oh, my God doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. My, my God is not into wrath. He's not into vengeance. My God's not like that, which is so interesting that we can somehow put ourselves above Scripture, above Jesus' own words to say that's not happening. That is part of the fabric of this world that God has created. We don't like talking about it. When's the last time you were at church and you heard a sermon on the wrath of God? People don't like hearing about stuff oh, like that. We don't want to hear about that. Let's they, hear about happy-go-lucky, kumbaya Jesus, eat a donut, and see you next week. Have some church punts, some graham crackers if you're young. There you have it. We're going to do the four easy steps to having healthier relationships. And all the while, I think God's capacity for wrath makes his love even more impressive. Oh, absolutely. And why, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Boom, gotcha. <laughs> Reversal. Let's go. Why does God's wrath make his love more impressive? Well, if we can pull back just a little bit and talk about the wrath of God. I'd, I haven't studied this in a very long time. Uneasy for everyone. We're probably losing listeners as we speak. That's okay. It's uncomfortable to talk about. But the Bible is clear that there is going to be some coming judgment where wrath, if you will, is coming. And the, the, the beautiful thing is, is that even other parts of Isaiah, you get to come, get to, and you're not going to probably get there until you're 2024 20, if you're going through the whole book of Isaiah. But right. later in the book of One Isaiah. One chapter at a time. Later in the book of Isaiah, uh, there's... There's speaking of um, the wrath that came upon the anointed one so that we wouldn't have to suffer it. Wrath is coming. Jesus took our portion for us, and for some reason in the first century New, uh, New Testament church, this was a delight to their ears. Are you kidding me? We have a way of getting out from under the wrath of God? Holy smokes, how do I do that? I think we live in such a comfortable world that we think, oh, that's not possible. How could that be possible? It's this God's God's not like that. There's not really this um, justice in the end. It's just he's trying to encourage us to, to be good people and to move through this world, not knowing the offense that our sin has against a holy God. Hmm. And that is very challenging. And this is something that's sadly very rare in churches. We don't talk a whole lot about Well, you and I don't talk about this exceptionally often. We're after more of the heart of God and his love and all that we can learn from Jesus. And I don't know what's harder to understand, God's love or God's wrath. In the New Testament church, God's wrath was very easy for these people to understand because I think they were more in tune with their sinfulness and the cost of that sinfulness to God. 
the, the, the consequence. I heard a great illustration once, and they said that the consequence um, tells you how big the sin is, right? If, if, I, if, if I have a neighbor and the neighbor has a cat and I kick the neighbor's cat, there's going to be some consequences, right? Right. If they, if they kick the neighbor's child, that's big time. We're going to have some circumstances. If I kick the neighbor, there's going to be some circumstance. There's some there's some consequences that are going to come. There sure as are. A result of that. If if I killed the cat or killed the neighbor's son, all of a sudden now powerful karate have, kicks coming out of you, Craig. Seriously, yeah. And so we can see based on the consequence how how bad the sin was, right? Well, the consequence that was paid for took the life of Jesus. Capital punishment. Death. And somehow we we think we can just wink and nod at our sin and say, oh, it's not that bad. It's something that, you know, we can get, all right, it's just, yeah, you know what, everybody's doing it, and just kind of, uh, we can sweep that under the rug. Well, the, the price that was paid for that was Jesus's life, and so... That sin was far more grave than we can understand. The collective sins of the world. It's a yeah. pretty serious ledger. And even, even to write off. Own. Even even our own. Yeah. And that's very humbling. But understanding what we've been saved from and Well, isn't the second coming when Jesus has had enough? He comes back. Mm-hmm. I, Pardon me for not articulating it. Jesus. All right, enough, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it's supposed to be quite calamitous. Yeah. Is that when the patience of Jesus is gone? Is there such a thing? That's hard to imagine. Yeah. Well, it's, in, it's interesting because um, there's a little bit of a different nuance in, in the Bible of... Um, that the gospel is going to be proclaimed into all the, all the world. All the, essentially, that most people understand that is a lot of people are going to be given the opportunity to respond to, mm-hmm. to Jesus, and then once somehow that's happened, then he's going to come back. And so it's but it's not supposed to be smooth sailing. Boy, you know, end time stuff, it gets really dicey very quickly. <laughs> it's just a matter Sounds of... Great. Depends, Sounds great. Sounds fun to study. Who, depends on who you ask. There are so many different schools of thought on how many times is Jesus coming back? When is he coming back? Is there going to be this tribulation? Is there going to be a millennial thousand year reign where all these things happen? And boy, I tell you, sometimes those end time things can get really smoky. Now... When I was doing, um, when I was in pastoral ministry, I did a series on Revelation, and I think I only did eight weeks on the book of Revelation, unlike hmm. unlike your book of Isaiah. I like to helicopter pad upon things I do know, and then just make small mention to the things I don't. Okay. And there are some things that are very clear in the book of Revelation, right? And there's a lot that isn't. And there's a lot that isn't, and I'd rather focus more time on saying what we do know and what we can agree upon than all the things that people have been debating about and arguing for centuries. So. Well, this is just, to me, it's Jesus coming back and positioning himself differently 
in terms of how he is uh, approaching us. Yeah. That's something that I have a hard time imagining, knowing the Jesus that we know that's very different. And that echoes exactly what we're talking about in Isaiah, where it's like, wait, the God I know is a, is loving and tender and accepting and full of grace. How do you get, it just takes us back to the same question. How do you get to there? If Jesus's return is, as many have said, chaotic, yes. tumultuous. Yeah. Then that makes me think about the cross and are our sins still forgiven if he's coming back and he's throwing the fury of God at us? That is something that's perplexing. He's saying, listen, do you know what was sacrificed for you? Do you know how this came to be? Do you know who I am? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just a reminder and say, let me bring your attention to the stuff that matters. Sometimes we need big things to shake us out of whatever lane we're in and grab our attention and just tilt our head in a different direction. Yeah. I do think we need reality checks more often than we get them, especially when we live in a, in a country that is, I, I watched part of a movie the other day on Netflix. It was kind of more of a military movie. And it was so interesting because they were in Afghanistan and these people from Afghanistan were saying, you people don't understand our lives. You're living in a, in a world that is better than the paradise than they've been promised mm. <laughs> and they're living in hell. And oh, it just was so stark. And what it did for me is it reminded me we do live in a slice of paradise that can anesthetize us to reality, what is real and what is, uh, we keep coming back to the matrix. Maybe we need to find far more illustrations to express the same thing is that there is a reality, a cosmic reality, a spiritual reality that exists that sometimes we're aware of and sometimes we're not. And the more often we are aware of that, the better our lives are going to be. Hmm. The closer we are going to be to honoring the intentions of the, the vineyard owner. How can we not think about that? That's a, one of the biggest things you could possibly think about is the nature of God and his reality that has been created for us. Yeah. How do we just look well, past that and why do we need such sharp and pronounced yes. events to recenter our focus? We're wild is, grapes. We are wild grapes. But Think the beauty, the beauty, the beauty of God and the love of God isn't enough for, for us, and that's, and is that part of our nature? Is that we need a kick in the pants from time to time? Is that just the unfortunate reality of it, or are there people in this world? Do you think that for the vast majority of their day, every day? They are speed skating on a spiritual high saying, this feels good, baby. 
God, I know you're the vineyard master in chief. This is a plus. I'm with you. You're with me. This is everything. Do those people exist? If so, where are they and what circumstances allow them to stay so focused on what they're focused on? Yeah. I've, I've met some of those people and they're beautiful souls and their lives aren't perfect and their lives are riddled with the same challenges, if not more than, than most of us, but they move through them very differently. Do they get sad? Sure. They get sad. Do they get angry? Yeah. I heard somewhere the other day, someone said something beautiful about the authenticity of Job. Job had incredible suffering that he went through. Um, lost wealth, lost family, and he was so distraught that he tore his clothes and threw ashes in the air and wept. And then the Bible says, in all that, he didn't sin. And I, hmm. I am so attracted to a God that says, it's okay for you to be sad and disappointed and possibly devastated at this event. Just continue to lean into me. Because hmm. that brings this authenticity of a God that I want to know. I don't want a God that says, "Hey, stop crying, stop, stop that." I know you've lost your your wealth and your family and your child and your beagle or whatever you lost. So, mm-hmm. it, the, the God He's portrayed in the Bible says, "Yeah, that is sad," and your, your tears are okay, and your your feelings are okay. But we are these wild grapes that somehow think we can do our own thing <laughs> apart from God. And it's so beautiful to think about Jesus then in John 15 saying, um, my father is the wine dresser. I'm the branch. You Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. He gives us this opportunity, mm. this relational opportunity to not be wild fruit anymore. And it's through him. He said, just abide in me, remain in me, walk with me. Grow through my branches and not whatever other nonsense you were running earlier. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah, Wild wild grape on its own is going to have a destiny that, you know, Isaiah described hundreds of years ago. But you, you who are hearing this, have a different opportunity. We can have a connection with Jesus that will bring life and joy and peace and fruitfulness. What sense of urgency does this impress upon you? The first four verses of Isaiah chapter five. And you said we're in that in-between space. Yeah. Right? Yes. Between wild grapes, what's this all about? And then you're about to get hammered. Yes. Wild grapes. Do you have a sense of urgency? Should others have a sense of urgency in doing X, Y, and Z? Yeah. I what oh, I, is there anything the wild grapes could do yeah. in it, it's hard to think of grapes as anthropomorphic and sentient. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it's a uh, I don't know. It, it, in a lot of ways it's a great example and in other ways it are hypothesizing doesn't fit as well. Yeah. But um, I think in some what's way, your sense about urgency? Yeah, uh, urgency, yes, absolutely. And I think there's a, a large part of me that wants to just create enough space to say, 
important? Yes. Urgent? Yes. To do step, I kind of want to leave that up to the Holy Spirit. Mm. But we need to create enough space based on where someone's at in their journey of their wild grapiness. Some people need to get down on their knees and do some business with God and and try to be grafted into Jesus's branches and so that some of their wild grapiness is taken care of. And other people who have already experienced that in grafting to Jesus might need to focus little less on their own grapiness and more on the wild grapiness of the people around them. But aren't we just delaying the inevitable? Delaying the inevitable in terms of what? what? Incurring, in, incurring God's wrath. That, you know, we as wild grapes think there's a whole lot that we might be able to do to unwild ourselves and make ourselves sweet and, um, and everything like that. But I don't know if it's as much about urgency as it is, uh, I don't know. It, that's a tricky one for me. That That is a tricky question about urgency where it's, well, his wrath is coming. That's that's built into yeah. this yeah. this whole thing. And so in this interim time, what is important for us? What is the most important things for us to do? With whom are we supposed to connect mm-hmm. besides, um, quite obviously, God and Jesus? Yeah. What does this all look like? Because you know, yes. God's wrath could be, 500 years from now, it could be tomorrow as far as we know, right? Unless I'm yes. totally off base on that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's so tricky. Yeah. And maybe maybe it's it, like we often find a combination of both, remaining in, in Jesus, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. That's a long, slow, steady journey in the same direction. That's beautiful, walking with him, listening to him. And so is there urgency there? Sort of, but more in the fact that there's no other place that's better for us to be. But is it possible for Jesus to be every branch in that entire vineyard and have all of the grapes harmoniously growing towards uh, sweetness and excellence that Jesus is some kind of supercharged fertilizer that comes in and changes the composition of the branches and thus the grapes. Is that possible, thus altering the course of the vineyard entirely? So taking it from its pathway of utter destruction into beauty, right? Is that a possibility or does it have to happen in the way that the vineyard is mm. simply going to be discarded mm. quite violently and mm. dramatically. Yeah. That's something that I wonder. And that, based on what I know about Jesus, how I know Jesus, I feel like fertilizer supercharged the branches, Jesus, is a movement that can work. Yes. Yeah. And w- another New Testament parallel that comes to my mind is when Jesus talks about the, the, the wheat and the weeds that they're um, in the ancient near East, the wheat and the weeds used to grow up together and they looked very, very similar to each other. Until the end. If you look at a picture of 
the wheat and the weed that was growing next to each other, it was really hard to tell which was which. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus says, let them grow up together and wait till the harvest time. And I heard a pastor give a marvelous message once, and he said, a lot of people that you think are weeds are actually wheat. And some people that you think might be wheat might actually be weeds. Right. And I just thought that that was a marvelous way of saying we don't know. If we're talking back to the grape analogy, we don't know who we're with. Now, I know you have a passion for other other wild grapes, and you want to be part totally. of, other, of the wild grape club becoming more sweet together in Jesus. And I think that is super cool. Uh, other people want to go out and try to minister to other wild grapes in different ways. And that's why I love the body of Christ, because it's it's people saying, hey, this is my call. This is when I feel alive. I feel alive when I go out and help someone understand life doesn't have to be this way. Life life can take us be so much sweeter if we walk a different way and abide with Jesus. Boy, we have been all over the ancient Near East and the Old Testament, New Testament. It's been fun. Thank you for taking us here. As I said earlier, Thank my, you for my image, you, you walked up to a tree on a hike and said, look at this. And I think we need to do that more often. We need to slow down in scripture with people in life and say, God, what do you want me to see here? And uh, what a uh, wonderful gift that you gave me here with this passage. So we hope you enjoyed today and were encouraged and challenged by some of the questions, the images. I know I was blessed today, so thank you, Alex. Thank uh, you, Craig. Hope you have a great day today.